Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, September 14th, 2022. As you look at some of the big figures of the Bible who did things for the Lord, it's easy to ask, what motivated them? What made them tick? What made the Apostle Paul as zealous as he was? What made the prophet Isaiah into who he was? And what we want to see today is both men had a vision. And in in many ways, this vision that each of them had, it was unique to that person and not something that uh, we, we should understand will be replicated in our own lives. But the vision in the way we would think of it as, as a view, a right view of something, that is what we do want to replicate. And so let's look at that today. Uh, we'll start in the Old Testament in Isaiah 4 through 6. So we've seen the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy. It's in a nation in decline. Uh, chapter 4 is brief and mostly speaks positively of uh, just good things that will come in Jerusalem and what is left and what remains will be called holy. But notice how even that um, the goodness that will come uh, is really in the wake of the judgment that is also coming. Because it says, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and cleansed the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and by a spirit of burning, then that's when God is going to do this new thing. But then we get into chapters 5 and 6. And chapter 5 is a a powerful passage. It begins with this picture of this vineyard that has been very cared for and cultivated, yet it yields wild grapes. And there's lots of kind of plays on words here in the Hebrew uh, to say, hey, I looked for something, but I found something else. And the words kind of sound the same, and you'll see this later. And then he makes it clear, I'm talking about the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I'm talking about Judah. I'm uh, talking about the, the house of Israel there in verse 7 and how I've taken so much care of you, and I've looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, and behold, an outcry. Um, And so we see those things there um, in that verse, and we see that he is speaking to the nation. And then the parable goes away in verse 8, and he gets much more direct. And we see this series of woes. Um, uh, woe there being a word of judgment. Woe to those who join house to house. So it seems woe against those that were excessively materialistic and just making things all about wealth. Uh, then there's a woe to those who are chasing after drink and music, kind of a uh, ancient party culture that I just want to go have fun and get drunk and listen to good music. And then we see uh, woe to those in verse 20 who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. 
Uh, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and drinking strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. And then it goes on to speak then of the judgment that will come. And now as we get more into the prophetic books, we, we must understand all of the prophetic books have a historical context. Uh, and here, it's more clear what it is. These are in the later, the more later days of the kingdom of Judah, and he is calling out the sin that he sees there. But one thing is you read through what the prophets call out in their specific time and their specific place, you will see parables to your specific time, parallels, excuse me, to your specific time and your specific place. Um, and it's hard to read through Isaiah 5 without seeing, wow, If for those of you listening, pretty much all of you in the United States of America, you, you see, wow, this sounds more and more like the place that I am living. And, and that raises your concern because you're saying God clearly hates this. Now, again, America is not the nation of Israel. Uh, we, we can't pretend that there's some kind of equivalence between us and, and the promises and the way that God cared for his people. Uh, they're in Jerusalem. But still, when you get into these woes, it's clear, no, these are still things that God does not want from any nation. These are things that bring judgment to any nation. And I was listening to one message on this chapter that I believe came from decades ago. So even well before some of the uh, social issues in, in in our culture had really flourished in the way they are now. And even at that time, the pastor said, uh, you know, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? As we just see more and more of this wickedness becoming prevalent in our culture. And that's where chapter six comes in. And it might help us today because we see Isaiah, he was called to be a voice for the Lord in that culture in that wicked culture. And what was essential? What was the vision that he saw? And that's where Isaiah 6, a very familiar passage, but we are reminded it speaks first and foremost of the holiness of God. There may be wickedness all around us and wickedness may be advancing, but the Lord is still seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and he is still holy holy, holy. And and Christians need to believe that. We need to recover that vision, so to speak, and not in this literal sense of go home and expect to have the same vision as Isaiah, but in a sense that we need to view God in the way this passage presents God, that he is powerful, that he is on the throne, that he is pure and undefiled. And we need to have the same reaction that Isaiah does where we, when we really understand who God is, uh, we're not pronouncing just woes on our culture. The woes begin with me. Even notice that connection, how that word woe is used all throughout chapter five. And then in chapter six, the prophet uses it to describe himself. Um, And and unless we have, I think, that vision of God's holiness and really the right view of our own sinfulness and that the woe begins with me, we we will not be effective in, in being a voice for the Lord in our society. He says, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
I think in that moment, I think of, you've probably all had the experience of being caught somehow in sin and you know the embarrassment and the shame that you feel in that moment. I I think what Isaiah feels here is that in its fullest because he has not been caught in his sin before some other human. He is caught in it before a holy God and not just, you know, one particular sin, but all of it, all of it there. I'm sure he felt exposed before a holy God and he says, I am undone. And then we see God provides the solution. He provides the atonement. And and that's true for us. God is the one who has provided the solution. He has provided the atonement through the cross of Jesus Christ. And our response should be like Isaiah's, here I am, Lord, send me. And then where we see his mission is not really going to be the most fruitful one. In fact, part of his mission will be hardening the hearts of the people that hear his message. But what will fuel him is that vision of a holy God. So as we consider the, the sin and the iniquity in our own culture, we, we must remember who God is, that he is on the throne and he is holy. And we must remember what that means about us, that none of us are... Um, are right before that God on our own, right? And all the woes that he has pronounced in chapter five, Isaiah says, I have more in common with them than I do with the Lord. And we need to realize without Christ, we're in that same boat. We deserve judgment as well, but there is cleansing. We have been cleansed, not of our own doing, not of our own righteousness, but through Jesus Christ. And as we meditate on those things, the holiness of God, the dreadfulness of our sin, the beauty of atonement, then I think we will have that right heart to say, here I am, send me. And no matter what the response is to our message, uh, we'll be motivated to, to remain faithful to the Lord and to seek to be a voice for the truth in our society. And that's where I think you see some similarities in the Apostle Paul as we go now to Acts chapter 22. And basically what you see in Acts 22 is a recounting of Paul's testimony. And he speaks this as he's being taken into um, the quarters of the Romans. They're likely taken into the Antonia Fortress there on what was likely the northern side of the Temple Mount. So he has been taken by these soldiers, which probably saved his life as the crowd was intent on killing him. But he asked for an opportunity to address the people and he speaks to them in Hebrew and he basically tells them his testimony. How they tell, he tells them of his former life as a Pharisee and his zeal that led him to persecute believers. And he tells them about the vision that he had and the voice that he heard, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And recounts his conversion and even recounts his forgiveness, his cleansing, right? In verse 16, and why do we now eat, wait, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? That there was hope that even Paul's sins, which were great, could be washed away by the calling on of Jesus's name. And that's what fueled the apostle Paul. He knew who Jesus was. He knew his own sin and he was aware of God's grace. I think we see those threads in both Isaiah and Paul, a high view of God, a serious view of their own sin, and a wonder at at the beauty of forgiveness and atonement that had been provided for them. 
But as soon as Paul says, well, I've been sent to the Gentiles, eh, things don't go so well now in the crowd's response. As they say, you, you can tell that there's such an animosity and it seems some of it may have been just cultural or, or ethnic related to the, the Gentiles, but they raise their voices and say, away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. And so their hatred for Paul is seen in in these uh, words that they say. And then you see Paul asserting some of his rights to avoid getting beaten and flogged. Uh, but we see now that the, the, the saga, the drama will continue. But again, the common threads you see, I think from these two visions is a high view of God, a real serious view of sin and a wonder at the atonement that has been provided. And as we look out at our sinful society and we want to we'll want to know how we can uh, be a voice for the truth, we'll need those same ingredients. We'll need those same visions. Again, not in a literal way, but we'll need those same views of a high view of God, a serious view of our sin, and really a high view of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.